Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends and partners in radio, Barnabas Piper and Ronald J. Martin. Uh, boys, it is summer. Uh, we are we are three very in demand men with our our various travel schedules. But uh, thanks for thanks for doing this this morning. Is everybody back home at this point? Is everybody like in their in their home studio? Where are we? Back home. Back, back home, home yeah. baby. You're back you're home. on your way out. I just got back. It's uh, like ships passing in the night. Oh, I know it. I know it, boys. It's uh, it's a, it's crazy lives that we lead, but not not quite as crazy as uh, as one Mark Driscoll. So it's been a long time on this program since we've done uh, a little segment that I like to call Drisky Business. Um, Drisky Business has been silent lately. Uh, we have not been paying attention to the exploits of one Mark Driscoll, but. Uh, something fascinating drifted across my transom uh, a few days ago via one Ronald J. Martin. And it's a tweet from Drisky. I'm just going to read this, okay? And then I'm going to describe the picture. And then I want you guys to kind of weigh in on what you think about it. So the tweet says, fired up to preach uh, 9 and 11 a.m. tomorrow at the Trinity Church, exclamation. Want these signed sermon notes after I'm done, question mark. Get on the weekly list by sending your name and address to hello at markdriscoll.org and then a fist emoji. And then below that is a photograph so quick, of quick Drisky's sermon notes. Is yeah, it yeah. is it the punch fist or like the uh, like the you know, like the fist up in the air like you know the the guys at the Olympics yeah. back in the day? Which fist it's, is it's, it? It's the punch fist. The punch it's fist. The punch okay. fist. Like the fist so, bump fist. Yeah, connotations. Okay. We're we're doing a virtual fist bump. This is strong. Um, so essentially Drisky, uh, apparently, and I'm, I'm going to parse this a little bit and then I want you guys to do it as well. There's a weekly like list that people can get on in order to get Drisky's autographed sermon notes. Um, I think this is, I would say hilarious, but like maybe sad is the better adjective. Um, it's bizarre, man. It's bizarre that Drisky thinks they're sort of a market for his, his game used sermon notes. Um, I actually think it's insane. I think it's evidence of like a ridiculous, gigantic inflated ego. I don't know, boys talk me through this. Uh, Ronald, you're a man of the cloth. Actually, you're both men of the cloth now. I've, I've got to get that right. But, uh, Ronald, let's, let's have you go first. Oh man. Yeah. I think, I think like when you first when okay. So when I, when I first saw somebody else tweet about this, it was one of those things where it's like, hold on, like, can this be real, right? So I went straight yeah. to Drisky's Twitter page and like, indeed, he, he was the one that originally posted it. <laughs> and um, so because, you know, one of those things is like, oh, man, is this is this in context, out of context? I, I, got, I need to do some fact checking on this one, right? Yeah. But um, so, yeah, so I, I think, you know, I think like anybody else, you're, you're like you're 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 like shocked, but you're not shocked, but you're shocked, right? And yeah. you, you see it and you go like. Man, it, a couple things come to mind, which is like, man, like who doesn't exist in his life? Um, who doesn't look over his shoulder and say, hey, Mark, probably not a great thing to tweet out. Well, the, ans- like, the answer to who out. doesn't exist in his life to do that is everyone. Everyone yeah. doesn't exist in his life to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it's a rhetorical question in some ways, but it but it's just but it's amazing because like for a guy that's been through everything he's been through. And he's had the kind of, you know, allegations just, you know, just thrown leveled at against him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just yeah. leveled against him. I mean, you just think like, man, throwing something like that out, you know what I mean? It just, 
how does it not just continue just to heighten like everything, you know, all of the, all of really just the, all of the bad feelings and the gossip and the rumors and the, you know, what's going on with Mark? Has Mark changed? What's Mark's heart like these days? And something like that goes out and it just, you know, I, I think it just gives everybody a lot of fresh uh, flame throwing, you know, to, to engage in. So I, it's, I don't know, it's hard to even know what to think about it because again, on one hand, it's like super harmless and irrelevant and pointless. Yeah, and the totally. Other hand, just go, well, Mark, why was it so important for you to tweet that out? You know, and you have to. Boys, what, what could we sign and like offer to our audience? I mean, we have no show notes, so that's out. Like um, screenshots of text messages? There you go. Yes. <laughs> get, get on the list if you want our signed screenshots. Sign them. Yeah, but see, by the way, can you just sign for me? That would, that would require making a list of people that we're supposed to then send other things to. Like yeah. the implication for him is that he has some sort of a weekly newsletter, prayer letter, braggadocio letter, marketing list. I mean, I'm sure he's marketing something. And so, you know, you're signing up for a chance to win these just priceless artifacts of sermon notes that he has. Well, is, what would it, what would it take on? for us to get on that list? I think we should, we should each throw our names in the ring. Um, we should, we should email to hello at markdriscoll.org. We should get on there and see if we, See if we can get any Drisky swag because no that would be. That big there's no, there's harm. no harm in that because that's just show prep in the sense that it would give us more stuff to talk about. Well, I, later I nominate you to do this, Ted. I think okay. you, I think you can take one for our team and right, sign up like at, at Drisky's thing. I also have a little bit of nerves that if I signed up, th- he might recognize my name because I used to work with him when he was be- before he went off the rails. Worked with him yeah. on some publishing stuff. So um, interesting. Interesting. I interviewed him for an article one time that I wrote for somebody, but it's been a it's been a long, long time, probably a decade. So I don't think he would remember my name. Uh, so I think we're I think we're safe there. Should we but, should uh, we offer to trade him something? Like we'll send you yeah. a Happy Rant sticker in exchange for some signed notes or something. Dude, I love it. A little barter economy stuff, man. That's I mean, good. That's yeah, let's hipster. Go, let's, let's go a little bit bigger than a sticker. Let's let's offer him some some good swag. But. Yeah. But the good swag is worth money, and the sermon notes and the sticker are not. So, but he thinks the sermon notes are worth a lot. So I don't. Let's not insult him. Let's just get those sermon notes. Oh, anyway. I, thought, <laughs> I thought the point was to clarify the value of the sermon notes. Dude, <laughs> autographed sermon notes. I mean, really? Like Piper? Who does this guy think he is? Like, to, and we talked about this ad nauseum. Like, we're we're not. I think the three of us we're not as a group. We're not autograph guys. But like, uh, like to me. It's athletes, maybe like rock stars and, and nobody else, you know, like seriously, who does this guy think he is? It's ridiculous. Wait, it's so striking the difference, too, because you remember there was maybe a year or two ago we talked about Tim Keller's sermon notes because he posted a mm-hmm. picture of his own sermon notes and it looked like the scribblings of sort of a mad scientist. Mm-hmm. But he was sort of poking fun at himself. He's like, sort yeah. of, believe it or not, this is what I work off of. Yeah, and he wasn't offering it to anybody, and he didn't offer to sign it, and he probably crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage after yeah. posting the picture. So you've got that version, and then you've got this, which you know it's like highlighted and whatever else, and mm-hmm. and it's it's like, would you like this precious bronzed artifact of of my preaching on? Did you uh, what what was the text or the topic? I didn't actually look super closely at that. I didn't look either. Let me uh, yeah, let me blow it up. up here. This looks. Well, and then look at his response to one of the comments below, which is like, basically, why, why are you doing this, Mark? And he says, oh, it's just a gift. Just a gift? A gift. Just being a generous. Gift. That's you know? G-I-T. That's not G-I-F. 
Religion Dude, and think... rebellion versus relationship in Galatians 5. There we go. So that's what we're working off of here. Do you think we could get one of his signed, like, sermon-worn tap-out t-shirts from the early 2000s? <laughs> and maybe that, like, I don't know, that bike chain necklace that, that a certain kind of guy was wearing in the yeah, early the, 2000s? Yeah, the, the, the four-inch wide leather watch band. Exactly. We, if we could get that, that would have some, like, kind of antique value at this point. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, boys. But speaking of actual celebrities, and uh, we need to keep this one on on task this morning because we've got uh, we've got time pressures. Um, actual celebrities uh, are are on the show Stranger Things. So uh, Netflix dropped its new season of Stranger Things. Uh, this has been not surprisingly a cultural phenomenon. Piper, you indicated in our in our pre-show meeting that you've watched ten minutes of Stranger Things. I watched a season and a half before I got bored uh, because it got it got a little too monstery for me. It just got boring. It, it became less about the characters and more about like special powers and all that, which is always a hard out for me. Uh, Ronald, you're still watching Stranger Things, and um, I think we should talk about it. I think we should talk about this cultural phenomenon, and I want to talk about it in light of the fact that. By the time this program drops next week, Brett McCracken for sure will have written the TGC piece about it. Um, so that's that's a thing that's going to have happened. And I want to talk about what McCracken's content is going to be. Just to, to, I'm sure somebody desiring God will have found something wrong with the gender uh, the gender issues in this show as well. I don't know if there are gender issues, but they will have found some gender issues, and that post will have gone up. It might be the week after because they tend to be a little behind the curve on what they're poking fun at. So but, you don't even know if there's gender issues, but you know for sure that they'll find some. Oh, absolutely. There's a hundred percent. There's a hundred percent chance somebody there will take issue with like a strong female lead who does things. I know there's a strong female lead. I, she's like, she's isn't she like named a number or something like that? Dude, it's yeah, she's, she's and there's Winona Ryder. Like all she does is shriek. But but like her catalog is pretty that, strong. That might suit the DJ uh, sensibilities a little bit better. But that's true. That's true. Well, um, there's a rumor now that one of the main characters um, they are they're sort of positioning him to come out as gay. So, of course, dude. I mean, it's it's oh, a burn it's a mainstream show. Things burn in hell. Dude, which one, Ron? Which which character? Uh, it's uh, who's like who's the main. I, I always blank out with names. It's kind of it's one of the main do one of the main kids. Oh, Mike. Uh, well, it's the one. It's the one that kind of went through all the stuff, like with the monsters and all. That. Oh, I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the one who's Winona Ryder's kid. Um, uh, correct. Yeah, yeah, the younger, like Winona's younger son. Winona's younger son. Okay. The guy who yeah, sure. Went through it all. Yeah, that I makes sense. Name. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think his name is Will. I yeah, Will. No, they'll make him kind of heroic because of that. So, all right. I mean, it's those are the those are the rumors that I've been hearing. That's a 2019 TV show, then. I mean, it'll get it'll get preachy in all the common ways, but uh, so yeah, that'll that'll give that'll give TGC and Desiring God a lot to write about. But uh, what what do you think McCracky's essay is gonna? What's the nature of it gonna be? What are the what are the high points? I would I think he's he's gonna go in on on nostalgia. Mm, why think, it's bad? Uh no, because I think he I think he would I think he would revel in nostalgia. The okay. in some in an, in a in an artistic way, you know, not not like the warm hugs way, but sure, the, sure. you know something something about the the artistry of nostalgia and the way it brings the importance. Us back. Yeah, the importance of remembering who we are. Yeah, it connects you us know? to our youth are we and then? when back back when things were you know we had it we had a simpler mindset and and things were mm-hmm. less cluttered and you know whatever. There's going to be the, yeah. I, I I would bet on nostalgia as his. Uh, his entry point into the Stranger Things essay world. 
There you go. Okay, Ron, you uh, you you've spent a lot of years reading McCracky. What what do you think? Anything <laughs> anything different than what Pipe is? Yeah, I don't think I've ever read an article. But um, quit lying. You're an avid reader. Well, yeah. I think what's interesting is um, I okay. So I watched it. I watched about half the season, and um, one of the things that they've really really done is they've hiked up the uh, the '80s the '80sness of it like oh wow in a massive yeah. way. So they introduced a mall into the town called Starcourt. Baby, I love just, that. So it's just, it's literally dripping with 1980s nostalgia. And of course, for us right now, for some reason, 80s nostalgia is to us what 50s nostalgia was in the 80s, which was sure. somehow this kinder, gentler, you know, more enjoyable, you know, time, you know, if, you know, for our nation when, when things were just a little more, you know, uh, you know, a, a little easier, a little more civilized. And, you know, they, they kind of present it in that sort of way. Things were a little yeah. more innocent. Um, and so yeah, and it's, it's interesting that we think of it that way, even though in the eighties, nobody really but it was anything felt but. that way. Yeah. Like cocaine was washing up on the beach in Florida, <laughs> like wherever you went and like people were like literally gunning themselves down in the streets in DC. I mean, it wasn't like so amazing in the eighties, but no, it, was, uh, it was not a kinder time. No, right. nobody knew what to do with the AIDS epidemic. The cold yeah. war was still going on. It wasn't, yeah, it was a mess. It was a major recession. It was yeah, wonderful. It was the eighties is what it was. You know, yeah, the mess of, of neon and um, really shallow pop, you know, music with great choruses. You know, I have to add that last part. Oh, but, yeah, you uh, got to be smug about that. But I got to be a little smug about that because, you know, 80s action. music was a was a resounding relic of the 80s that like that that carries on with us. The rest of it seems a little bit revisionist history to me. Yeah, uh, I agree. OK, I don't know what that meant. But anyway, um, the uh, I think what's interesting is that I, what I would say is what McCrack is gonna um, is gonna hit on is um, I, I, I agree with Pipe, man. I uh-huh. think that there's gonna be something to how we um, something to how we look back on history and make it to what we want it to be, and how you know, somehow the uh, the gospel guards us against doing mm. that. It shows us to look back into history the way it actually was. Yeah, no, there you go. There you to, go. You know. Yeah, uh, we can look at the painful elements of history, but know that. In light of the gospel, we're we're okay. But I think um, the more fascinating thing for us, and especially for uh, you, were sort of less in the '80s. Pipe uh, Ted and I would have been a little more of like '80s kids. But um, nevertheless, I, I I really find there has been an ongoing fascination with the '80s now for over a decade, and it is like it is just. I mean, man, it is it, it's fa- it's just it's everywhere, right? I mean, music still is being like all these production techniques from the 80s are still being used. There's, there's, they're showing no signs of slowing up. I mean, the yeah. 90s nostalgia has creeped in a little bit. But I would say like 80s nostalgia is still so high. Do you, th- and, yeah. um, do you think a lot of that is – Do you think a lot of that is because the people who were kids in the 80s – So, I mean, I was seven when the 80s ended. So I'm not really counting me. I mean people who were like – who came right. of age in the 80s. So you guys, Absolutely. for example, um, mm-hmm. are kind of at the place where – you're at sort of peak cultural influence, peak power. Yeah, the you're, you're the decision makers in what gets produced, what gets written, what gets released. You know, yeah. you now have kids who you can influence in terms of like they grew up listening to the music you loved, so it's sort of their nostalgia as well. You know, like that kind of thing. It because it, it's coming for the '90s. It's just, yeah. well, I, it's yeah, just I agree, give, in the I, next ten years, the '90s will. I don't know that it'll replace the '80s. It'll just join the '80s. I, I sure. totally agree. I think what's fascinating to me about it is how long it's stuck. Because, I mean, like, typically, like, you know, typically, like, retro trending, it lasts a little while, and then it kind of moves on. But, like, this 80s thing, I'm telling you, man, I, I've been, 
I've been kind of monitoring it, and it's it's well over a decade that everybody's just still geeking out for the eighties. You know, and Ron, it's like, do you it's do you think it's because the eighties were really the last decade where people essentially all consumed the same stuff? You know what I mean? Like, um, there there were there were just a handful of records in the eighties that everybody had. And I feel like the nineties introduced smugness as a, as a way to be cool. And so that the nineties things starting to get, things started to get divisive in terms of, you know, you even had quote unquote, the term alternative music in the nineties. Well, 90s. it was cool to be, it was cool to be cynical in the nineties. Yes. So that was, it yeah. Was, it was cool to be cynical and actually, actually retro became like a thing to like identify with and be where, yeah. And whereas in the eighties, everybody was kind of like, we all love Duran Duran, you know, we all love, uh, I don't know, Michael Jackson or whatever. So, yeah, I, f- I feel like the 80s was the last bastion of everybody consuming the same stuff in a, in a, like, at, in mass, you know? Well, it was like, it was also like a future oriented decade to where everybody yeah. was still like thinking of possibilities or what might be. And, but again, because we didn't have social media and we lacked a particular kind of 24 hour connectivity that we have now. There was still the ability to find things and explore things. So kind of talking about what you just talked about a minute ago, Big T, about like records. It's yeah. like, yeah, you, you, still had, you still had to like kind of search things out, like to find certain kinds of bands and certain genres. They just weren't available. Every, they just weren't all available at Sam Goody, right? Like yeah. you, you had to explore. There was like a sense of like um, artistry with like the things you had to go about in terms of discovering whether it was music or clothing or things of that nature. And then in the 90s and then when, you know, when the internet kind of blasted into being, it was like everything's accessible. We can all find anything we need. Everything that we want is available. And so I think it was there was there was a particular kind of uh, I mean, there really was a particular kind of like innocence in regard to those types of things where, you know, you just you, you had to be you had to be a little more in the know to get yeah. to certain places and to acquire certain things. And I mean, now you can just I mean, you just can you can Google everything. Well, you know, there's to yeah. to to. to you had to either be in the know or you like lucked into things like listening to people who became writers, musicians, actors, whatever coming out of the eighties. So like the, the Gen X crowd, they talk about sort of like having their mind blown when they discovered a, a whole different kind of music. Like all their friends listened to, you know, Michael Jackson or whatever. And they discovered this other thing and it was just mind blowing. There's no mind blowing now. Everything is called yeah, mind blowing, but everything is just sort of like <laughs> here today, yeah. gone tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. It was mad. We have a much quicker turnaround now, right? Because things, right. So the 80s were probably the last decade where there was some like lastingness with like mm-hmm. things, which is ironic since like the 80s are still lasting. So yeah. it's, it, there's just something so, there's something so weird about that because I mean, people look back on the 80s and they don't do it ironically anymore. It's like, no, no, no. I just, I, I identify with that. I like that. It, it's nostalgic, but it's not merely nostalgic. It's like it's actually what I like. It's actually what I'm um, drawn to. And um, and again, that's me talking to dudes that again were more like you, pipe. They were like you know ten years old when the decade ended, and so really growing up, it wasn't a big thing to them. They don't really have much of a memory of it. But later on, they were able to associate with it and identify with it. Why? Because it's so available. Like well, the 80s are just – they're so available. It's the weirdest thing. It's really hard to do that with the 90s because, yeah, the 90s is when things started being pitted against each other too. Like you had you had Seinfeld, Frasier, Friends, and these were shows that people picked usually. It was yeah. like that's my show. Like 
like Seinfeld versus Friends is a debate that still goes on. I was having this argument yesterday with somebody. And, I mean, it's not an argument because Friends sucks and Seinfeld is great. But, <laughs> but in the 80s, again, there was like the 6 p.m. show, the 7 p.m. show, the whatever show. And you, you watched it or you, you went and like read a book or played outside or whatever. There wasn't, there wasn't options. And the whole like, ethos of Seinfeld was essentially a cynical show about nothing. It was a show that yeah. just sort of – the whole thing was about sort of meaninglessness. And it was super entertaining, but just a whole different vibe than anything heartfelt, anything emotional. I mean, they, they had a – their rules on set were no hugging and no learning. You know, that, nice. so we, we feel nothing and we make no progress. It's and like, that was the ethos. It's like college was, in 2019. I mean, that was the ethos <laughs> of the 90s, though. It made right. like – I mean, two things came out of the 90s, which was – it's cool to be uncool. It was the beginning of nerd culture, right? Which yep. is just rains hot. I mean, which is the reason why maybe the '80s still exists is because it was the it was the you know it was the invention of nerd culture, and um, and it's it's just cool. It's cool to not care. And before that, you know, I mean, you could have said, well, the late '60s had a little bit of that, but by the time the '80s came, there was like a particular kind of optimism that the '80s you know represented and generated. And then the 90s were a response to that, which was to say, no, actually, it all sucked. It was all fake. It was all plastic. There was no depth to it. So let's get back in touch with our feelings and let's become existential and like do all that stuff. Right. And so and I think I think that still carries over. I think that like carried into the 2000s. But at some point, um, where do we find relief from that? Well, we go we we become retro. We look to the past to find some relief from that. And the 80s, I think, was the easiest and closest thing to grab onto um, where you could find some, um, you know, you could find a return to some things that weren't so heavy. And, uh, you know. Speaking of retro and speaking of the 80s, the 80s was the decade of, quote, having a personal relationship with Christ, right? <laughs> we, we remember this language and we remember the 80s as the decade where you actually, like, got converted um, so to speak. And now reformdom has sort of, um, th- thrown all of that into question in that I feel like in reform culture and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, it's actually cool to not really know when you were converted. Um, because, uh, the Holy spirit pursues you and we, we do believe this, but, um, that whole language of like coming to, coming to know the Lord, coming to Christ, being converted, being born again, um, this is all stuff that kind of had its, its apex mountain in the eighties and has kind of become passe and reformed culture. So my, my question to you guys, and maybe pipe, I'll throw this one to you as your, as your, this is your first official man of the cloth question. Um, just remember I'm a director, not a pastor. Just want to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We gotta, we gotta make those distinctions for Ron. Um, how do, how do reform people come to Christ nowadays? Uh, this is kind of fascinating. I mean, I, I, I think. People come to Christ the way they have always done so. It's just we're, we have, we've moved from requiring people to timestamp their conversion, you know, sort yeah, of the 80s, 90s, right. like what camp, what day, how old, to, to being skeptical of that. So now when somebody says, I gave my life to Christ at summer camp in, you know, 1997, we go, did you really? <laughs> like, was that, was that real? How many times did you rededicate after that? You know, like, and I'm... I'm guilty of this. I I'm skeptical of those things as well. But and I think I think the language of journey, you know, everything's a journey, a road, a process, a conversation. Mm-hmm. 
there's no beginning point or end point. I mean, maybe there's a beginning point. There's no, there's no definitive sort of like I'm arriving anywhere. Yeah. And that, that has sort of taken over the language of Christianity, even if it hasn't changed the, the actual theology. So, yeah, I think people are really, most people are reluctant to be like, I gave my life to Jesus last week. Yeah. I got saved. You know, there, there's, yeah. there's a, that, that feels very sort of squeamishly uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. Ron, what about you, man? You're a, you're a church planner in the, in, in this decade. Um, how do you, how do you talk about this at sub? Um, what's the, what's the vernacular? I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny. We're so afraid of distorting grace. I think, you know, Mm. we're we're so afraid of anybody thinking that, you know, they, they have this ability to make a decision, Mm -hmm. you know, for Jesus, you know, that we've just, we, we've tried to just completely dismantle, you know, all of that way of thinking and that sort of that, that, the, you know, those, those types of, uh, you know, you know, doctrinal points, you know, and, or, or lack of doctrinal points or whatever you want to call them. I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's like, I, I don't know if we've steered too far, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think we have to urge people to come to Christ, you know, I mean, so yeah. we only know how to respond the way we respond, which is to make a decision is to right. say, Jesus, forgive my sins. I, yeah. I, I embrace the, I embrace the cross, mm-hmm. cross is being sufficient for salvation, all those things. But like, we have to, we have to, we have to urge people to do that. And so I think, I think we've just been so careful with our language because we know that we came from all of those places where, yeah, see altar call, everybody's walking up the aisle 15 times like that week, yeah. you know, and, yeah. you know, and Hey, and if you've had a bad week, you know, you can make up for it on a Sunday, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Back down. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so like we've gone so far to like run the other way that I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think we try to avoid all of that language and guess what? It's like easier because it makes us not have to like deal in the, in the murkiness of that. And so I think, you know, reformed churches, you know, their reputation for not being incredibly evangelical, I, I mean, evangelistic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's pretty well warranted, right? Because we're not, we're not, we're not really seeing like big movements of people coming to Jesus because we're, we're really afraid of turning into this, you know, this, this, you know, Charles Ryrie, you know, kind of movement, you know, or whatever. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's way easier to have spiritual conversations than it is to try to, walk somebody from not believing in Jesus to saying, do you want to follow Christ? And if they say yes, then let's pray a prayer that indicates that you are bowing the knee to Jesus. That's not a thing we're comfortable with. Not even in church. Like if somebody came up after church to many people in our churches and said, I'm really intrigued by what I just heard in the sermon. Like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? We would answer the question, what does it mean? but mm-hmm. have a really hard time moving to, like, conversion. We, yeah, We've totally. put it all on the Holy Spirit and failed to recognize that the Holy Spirit is like, well, maybe you should, maybe you should do something. Maybe you should say something. Maybe you should, you know, you should walk that person into a place of salvation. And I think even, even the language of, like, leading somebody to Christ is something reformed people are super uncomfortable with. Like we're so yeah. we're so afraid of sounding Arminian, we forget to evangelize or something like that. And then you go the other way too. So it's like you know, hey, we have to repent, we have to believe the gospel, and like that. I, you know, I believe that's true and that's right, and that's what we have to urge people to do. But again, that's not incredibly inviting in the way that I think we can be in like we can be we can we can we can be inviting in a way that like you know honors the truth of, of the gospel and Christ's sacrifice. 
without it being like so decisionistic, if that's even a word. I don't know if it isn't. I made it up. But um, dude, I dig so, that word. Decisionistic. That's strong. Yeah. If it's a made dude, up you, word, it should definitely be real. You know what word I heard twice this weekend, and I'd literally never heard it before. Uh, but it, it was yeah, well, it was both in the context. Both times were in the context of like heavy hardcore reformed culture. The term is sabbatarian. Have you oh, ever wow. heard that? Oh, yeah. I have, but I have no idea what it means. Well, it's somebody who's real hardcore about, like, not doing anything on the Sabbath. So, gotcha. like, yeah, having a conversation with this dude yesterday, and he's like, yeah, I grew up in this home. My parents were real hardcore Sabbatarians. Like, they wouldn't let me toss a ball or cut the grass or do anything on Sunday. And I'm it like, sounds like, a, it's like a breed of snake. <laughs> you well, know, like a I mean, you got, you got vegetarians, you've got pescatarians, <laughs> you've got Sabbatarians, you know, every, every, it's what, it's, it's, it's. It's defined by what you rule out. So vegetarians rule out meat. Pescatarians rule out all meat except fish. Sabbatarians yeah. rule out all work or fun on Sundays. Boys, I like to identify only with complimentarian. That's there ruling. you go. You're going to piss Piper ruling out all yeah. women? Easy. <laughs> no, I, I feel a, like Piper's become Mr. I'm a narrow compliment. He's getting all man of the cloth on me right now. No, I'm a Dude, narrow. yeah, man of the cloth versus man of the cloth. He's man of the it. clothing me. Yeah. Oh, this, this is, is like head to head man of the clothing battle right now. It's going to open up so many possibilities. The cloth wars. I love that you're you're both cloth guys now. This is so good, man. Star Wars episode 10. That's right. Happy rant the cloth wars. <laughs> the cloth wars. Oh, that's so bad. I, just, I, wanna, I really want to resign now. Oh my god. Oh, that oh, that just can... makes it another episode. Baby, you got that resignation letter. It's just it's already written, man. It's in the desk drawer. It's already signed. I love how you guys think I gotta send you a resignation. <laughs> Dude, you do. That's the listeners protocol. have to. I mean, so we expect you to do the same. And if it's less than a thousand words, it doesn't even count. Dude, yeah, did you're Trump not even... send you a resignation letter? Did you anything do anything less actual... than a thousand words and reform them doesn't count? <laughs> yes, you know, Trump's Tro- Tro- absolutely sent a resignation letter. I'll have Joe Carter write my resignation letter. Is that cool? Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, nine, we'll have to nine, nine reasons, reasons I'm resigning. Yeah. I have to take a couple of days off work to read that. I mean, that's that's a. <laughs> It's a long one. Oh, baby. Speaking of, how's your time, man? Are we, uh, are we good or we got we to gotta close this thing? I mean, I'm good with closing it. Are you, how do you feel, Pipe? Uh, <laughs> As a man I'll, of the cloth, how I'll, do you feel about closing it? For, for the sake of, of not uh, escalating this, this cloth battle, I will, uh, <laughs> I'll defer to run. This episode is shorter than any Reformed sermon that's happened in the last 15 years. Isn't that great, though? Don't you it feel like we're, we're breaking new ground, baby? It's concise. It is. Yeah, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for the reformed sermon pendulum to swing back to like 30 minutes or less. I feel like I it's going to happen. But even right now, like we don't know, we still we don't know how to land this. Like we're still talking. We don't know how to shut it down. Like right it's now, gonna take, just, it's going to take. It's going to take. I know, baby. I know, but I can't. You know, because one I'm more bored. point, baby. One. <laughs> baby, here's one here's more. my last point. It's gonna it's gonna take the coolest pastor and reform them. To start doing like twenty-eight minute sermons again to get everybody to follow suit. I think they, I think he's called Tim Keller, but he's re- he's resigned. He sent in his Joe Carter nine point resignation letter. I think this year, last no, year, he's had that in his desk drawer for a while. Like Absolutely, you. absolutely. Baby, here's 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 me speaking for Pipe. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but we don't want you to resign. Okay, hang with us a little while longer until we get our leather goods. Okay, because we're looking at some leather. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to like. I mean, I may uh, be take, dumb, but I'm not stupid. I'm going to wait. I don't want to let the I don't want to let the leather cat out of the leather bag in in terms of our business dealings here. Boys, I would next. never I would never resign before the Christmas season. 
know. Okay, so we've, we've got you locked up through December. That's a six-month contract. I like that. Let's be honest. Uh, boys, we have done what we always do on this program and that we've wandered to and fro throughout these many topics. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name is Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.